This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Sunday and I'm going to speak on the hope of a king. The hope of a king. Hope's a really powerful word isn't it? Hope's a really powerful word. It it speaks about light in darkness. It speaks about perseverance against all the evidence. It speaks about freedom, uh, uh, the hope of freedom that keeps captives alive. Uh, The hope of victory that keeps people fighting against all odds. It's the hope of a better future that stirs our passions. There's always hope. As Banksy put on a, 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 a wall in Bristol. Um, and, and sometimes it feels like hope can be maybe this balloon that we're trying to reach for that's blowing away. Uh, but the thing is, hope always keeps reaching, always keeps believing, always keeps searching. Uh, there's always hope. Uh, and so we come uh, early April, uh, AD 30, 31, 32, 33, you can take your choice. But the hope of the Jewish nation is hoping for a king. Here's a, a picture from, uh, 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 anybody guess where the crown is from? Lord of the Rings, I thought I'd do that. Jotham's back from uni. It's a hope of a king, the return of a king. The, the Jewish nation is focused, their hope is focused on we are looking for a king. They had many kings, but now they didn't have a king. But the absence of a king made their hope burn much brighter. They believed in a king that Yahweh, their God, the God of Israel, would come to anoint, who would bring victim freedom from centuries of oppression. They'd been oppressed by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians. Now they've been oppressed by the Romans. They were thinking, who, when is this guy, this king, going to come and going to set us free? But they get to this point, Palm Sunday, where actually they think today's the day. Maybe this is the day. Maybe this is the day, you know, we sing at Christmas, don't we? The hope and fears of all the years are met in you tonight. Maybe they were thinking on this April day, this Passover week, they were thinking maybe this is the day. Maybe this is the day. And as were, I put in my notes, hope takes to the streets. John 12, 12 is our reading. Uh, it says uh, in John's, it's, this is the only, one of the few events that's in all the, all the Gospels. So you could find it in all the Gospels, but John's is shortest, so we went with John. The next day, no, that's not quite true, but the next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it's written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See your king come, is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things had been written about him. And these were the things that had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. 
Many people, because uh, they heard that he performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees, you can hold them holding their head, Jesus' enemies, said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Father, we thank you for this moment in victory, this moment of triumph, this triumphal entry, this coming of the King. Lord, we still feel a hope of the coming King. Lord, we look back to your coming and we look forward to your coming again. But Lord, we know that the hope and fears of all the years are met in you, Lord Jesus. We say we, pro- we pray for you to get us into this story, just as these people on the street knew that they were part of an unfolding drama. I pray that you would place us in that story and we'd feel that same excitement, that we would cry, Hosanna, let salvation come. In Jesus' name, amen. Historians suggest about two million people would have made their way to uh, Jerusalem during the Passover. Josephus, who's a, a historian, he, he says 2.7 million, but they always, the, the Romans reckon he was exaggerating to make uh, the Jewish festival look better. But uh, we'd say 2 million people in, in Jerusalem, that was probably a town of maybe 200,000 max at that time. So you've got you know a massive... So you think what happens in race week, we get double our town. Think what happens at Passover in Jerusalem. I've actually been to... Uh, Passover in Jerusalem. It is mad. I think it was completely mad then because what you also had going on was a major uh, butchery uh, of animals and stuff later in the week. But what happens is that the week would start with this kind of festivals where they would sing songs. They'd sing psalms. They'd sing these kind of uh, songs uh, that, that often would be sung at every festival. So they'd sing these psalms. Psalm 118 is one that's referenced here. They'd sing these psalms of ascent, songs of ascent, where they'd sing them as they were going up to the temple. In fact, some writers think that these songs were often also sung when there was a coronation, when a king was coming. So we've got these two things coming together. We've got this festival where they would sing these songs, the same, we're going up to the temple of God, we're going up to the house of God, we're going up full of hope, we want God to do something. But you've also got this thing where Jesus is coming into the town and the two things come together. I did a whole lot of work on on Psalm 118, but it hit the cutting room floor, so unlucky on that one. But you want to read Psalm 118 and see what's going on. There's a massive sense where the crowd are singing this song. They don't quite understand the prophetic nature, the nature of what they're saying, the truth they're singing, but they're singing, they're shouting, this song. And, and, and it seems like the religious leaders are, are in despair. The religious leaders at this point were not Jesus' friends. If you're not familiar with the story of Jesus, the religious leaders were not Jesus' friends. The common average people who the average Joe uh, or whoever, sorry, I'm just suddenly I realize my son's not called Joe, uh, but, but the, uh, the average Jotham or the average Zach or Damaris or anybody, you know, the, 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 the average person in the street uh, that Jesus came for them. It was the religious leaders, it was the Howard Kellets of this world that didn't like him. And they got this irony of this statement. It says, the whole world have gone after him. We might just see as, this as hyperbole or exaggeration. Really, there wasn't the whole world gone after him. You know, if there was 150,000, it was a massive crowd. That You know, not the whole world has gone after him. But actually, I don't think it would have been lost on John's readers, because actually the word uh, world is actually the cosmos. So almost John's readers would have heard this declaration, ironically, out in despairing, out of the mouth of religious leaders, the whole cosmos has gone after him. It's almost as if the, 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 the religious leaders unknowingly declare this 
this kind of hope of the whole of humanity. Uh, this, this sense of, it says in, Paul says in Romans, the whole of creation groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. There's this kind of groaning, when's the king going to come and set it all right? You look at the world we see, you look at Syria and say, how can anything good? No, what can happen? It can only get worse. There needs to be someone, a loving king, who's going to bring rule and order. That was what it's like in Israel. That's what it's like in our world. And the, there's this sense of uh, the yearning for the God's king to be revealed. And you've got to understand that this crowd is immersed in God's big story. They didn't like, our world is actually full of information. We've got loads of information, but we don't really know what we think. In their world, they had very little information, but that what they did know was incredibly resonant. And they knew God's big story. So here's three books that I can recommend to you. A Passion for God's Story by Philip Greenslade. Uh, From Creation to New Creation by Tim Chester, a friend of ours. And Vaughan Roberts' God's Big Picture. They're my reference books for today. And what I want you to do is to, to, to put you back in the big story so you understand the tension. So this doesn't feel like, oh, just a little kind of wave of palm branches, but the, to feel the kind of yearning of the people for a king. So we're going to go right back and we're going to race through the story. If you want to be clever, it's called biblical theology, but for most of us, it's God's big story. Okay, so what happens at the beginning is creation. Right at the beginning of creation, God is declared the king. Lots of other creation accounts from lots of other Near Eastern cultures have lots of gods fighting over different things. But in this creation account, in Israel's creation account, there's one God. It's his voice alone that speaks. There's no other God. Israel's God is the absolute sovereign ruler of the universe. He creates by his word. Just in case you're wondering who that is, that's Jesus. John says in the, at the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the word. Jesus is creating the cosmos by his word. The undisputed king. Space and time and matter did not exist, but when God speaks, it comes into being. If you don't like that, we do it on three, two, one. You can debate it. But anyway, okay, but it's unequivocal. God is the king. He creates man and women. The first men and women, they're called Adam and Eve. And he places them in a garden that he himself has planted. The garden is this handcrafted picture of God's rule. I am not a gardener. We have no plants in our garden. We have just grass. I'm sure God's garden was slightly more interesting than mine. So he plants, God plants this garden. Interestingly, he speaks the cosmos into being but plants a garden. It's almost he stoops down, gets his hands dirty, and plants this garden. It's, this, this garden is meant to be a picture of God's rule. It's a place of fruitfulness and blessing and peace and freedom. That's why it's called paradise, the Garden of Eden. We often talk about it as. It's this place of paradise. And God puts into this paradise men and women, and he says, I want you to enjoy my good rule. I want you to enjoy uh, fruitfulness and blessing and freedom and peace. It's going to be a great place to be. It says uh, in Genesis, uh, God blessed them. That would be Adam and Eve. And he says, and he told them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth with God's rule. That's my paraphrase. Basically, he's saying, well, you live under my rule, and what I want you to do is to represent me. You're made in my image like me, and I want you to, to fill the earth with lots of little Adam and Eves, fill the earth, and then they're meant, those people are meant to bring blessing to the whole earth. 
And interestingly, there's a little hint of coronation here. It says, God blessed them. Uh, We'll look at coronation later on, but actually what happens is, in the coronation, the monarch is blessed by the archbishop. God blesses humanity. And he also mandates them. He also says, I want you to rule. Be fruitful and increase and rule. Right at the beginning, we've got this idea that God is the sovereign ruler, but the the, the vice regents, the rulers of the earth, is people, Adam and Eve. Kingship, right at the beginning. What It's a familiar story to some, but it may be unfamiliar to others. The whole thing goes wrong. Adam and Eve are tempted to reject God's rule by refusing to trust in his word. We don't believe what you said. God rules through his word, but we say, we do not believe what you've said. The ancient serpent, you can debate who that is, but, but basically this says there's evil force of Satan, the devil. The ancient, ancient serpent lies and redefines the notion of God's rule. God's rule of love and peace and blessing in life is portrayed as grasping, oppressive, and tyrannical. It's interesting, that question, why does God do this, or why does God do that sort of questions, generally spring from that root of, really, God's not to be trusted. Why does God send people to hell? Why does God allow suffering? Why does God do that? It's almost as if we've all still believed that lie that God is actually the problem here, that he's not good and loving and fruitful and kind and full of freedom, and that he's the one who cannot be trusted. He's grasping, oppressive, and tyrannical. Humanity's view of God's rule, and then what happens is we believe that lie that God's not to be trusted, and then what happens is we suddenly human rule. We grasp human rule for ourselves. And what you find right at the beginning of the story is human rule, instead of being like God's rule, like it should have been, full of love and fruitfulness and peace and blessing, is actually grasping, oppressive, and tyrannical. Right at the beginning, murder breaks in. Brother against brother. Nation against nation. You've got war and bloodshed without a king. We grasp kingship for ourselves. We deny God's kingship. And chaos breaks out. Outside of God's good rule, fruitfulness becomes emptiness. Peace becomes conflict. Freedom becomes oppression. And blessing and life become curse. Emptiness, conflict, oppression, curse and death. That is actually the world we tend to see. Uh, I like the song by... um, Freddie Mercury, that he sang at Live Aid. Freddie Mercury is the lead singer of Queen. And it's the song that says, is this the world we created? And it's talking about the broken world we're in. We all kind of know that when we've seized control, that we've chosen to be king, we've not created a beautiful world. There's something gone wrong with the world, Mama. Okay, and so what happens is, But even right at the beginning, even when the world is warped into chaos by our human decision, God promises that through suffering, there's going to be one who's going to crush the serpent's head. It says, actually, it says, a serpent will strike at your heel like your weak spot, as it were. If you do Greek theology, yeah? Uh, Greek uh, mythology. A weak spot is going to strike at your heel and the serpent crusher is going to crush the serpent's head. And the, the word head there means authority. There's a rule battle going on. There's a battle for kingship going on. But right at the beginning, it says it's not going to end badly. 
the serpent's going to get crushed. But the serpent crush is going to suffer in the process. Later in the story, then, we have Israel. I will roll, roll quickly now. Israel, basically, the next thing is we... This is Abraham from our uh, uh, a sermon series, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not actually Abraham. We couldn't find him to picture him. But it, basically, what happens to Abraham is that God says, right at the beginning, I will... What's it say? Oh, that's a word again, isn't it? I'm blessing you. I'm blessing you. I'm saying, look, there's a something going on here because I'm going to make you king. I will bless you and make you a great nation and nations and kings will come from you. All nations will be blessed by you. This is what I was said to Adam at the beginning. I'm going to bless you so you can bless the earth. It goes wrong. God starts again. Abraham, I'm going to bless you so you can bless the earth. Abraham becomes the nation of Israel. God's promise is good. He says, you're, you're going to become a great nation and kings are going to come from you. But what happens is, to start with, Israel does not have a king. They don't have a human king. Because who's supposed to be the king of Israel? It's an easy question. It's God or Jesus, the Sunday school answer. I'm expecting Andy to pip in because he's usually good with that. It's the, the Sunday school answer that God is meant to be their king. But what happens, the pattern repeats itself again. They will not have God as their king. So they do what they want. The book of Judges is bookended by these phrases. Israel had no king. They did have a king. But they had no human king. So everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I find it shocking when there was this cruise missile attack this week. And the Radio 4 I was listening to had a, a British person an American person, a Russian person, and a Syrian person. There was no consensus about what was being done. Everybody did right in their own eyes. There was no sense of this is right and this is wrong. Everybody did. You think, who do you believe? Well, we know who we believe, don't we? So we're with them. <laughs> but we don't believe those. But yeah, I think if you stand in Russia or in Syria or in Assad, you think, no, we, we don't believe them. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. And what happens is the nation descends into anarchy, greed, rape, and murder. You read the book, End of uh, Judges, it's a mess. It's a horrid mess. Israel will not have God as their king. They cannot rule themselves. So anarchy rules. Israel's response, though, is not to say, God, we want you to be our king. It's 21st century. God, we don't want you to be our king. The world's a mess, but we don't want you to be our king. Give us a king like the other nations. They ask, give us a king so we can be like the other nations. The whole point is they're supposed to be different from the other nations. They're supposed to have God as their king. But what happens is they say, we we want to be like all the other nations. Samuel says, you can have a king, but let me warn you, what kind of ruler are you going to get? You're going to get one who's grasping, oppressive, and tyrannical. You're not going to get a good ruler. You're going to get one grasping, oppressive, and tyrannical. The, the ruler they get for themselves is actually pretty good looking on the surface. He's head and shoulders, a strong guy, a guy called Saul. He becomes, yeah, he's surely the good ruler, but actually he cares nothing for the voice of God. He cares nothing for the word of God. He cares nothing for God's rule. He only cares about the people's voices. Tragic. He never seeks God once. He's just listening to public opinion. That's our rulers, isn't it? No moral compass. 
Like Adam, the first man who was blessed to rule, so Saul was blessed to rule. What they used to do is they used to take, they used to take oil and pour it over the king. They didn't crown them in, in Israel, they poured oil over them. They anointed them and said, you're the king, God's chosen one. That word anointed means Messiah. The anointed one means Messiah, it means Christ. Jesus Christ means, it's not his surname, it's Jesus the anointed one. It's Jesus the anointed king. What happens is David, even while there's another ruler on the throne, Saul, who's a bad ruler, doesn't get it right, God is anointing another ruler in secret. While the Romans are on the, th- are on the throne, God is anointing another ruler, we'll get to him, in secret. The anointed one, the Christ. And David, the story of David is of one of the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, who suffers before he takes his throne. Yet David desires to build a big house for God, a temple for God. And this is critical. Right in the middle of the Bible, it says this. God says to him, you will not build a house for me. We won't get into the reasons now. But I will raise up your seed or your son or your offspring and he will build a house. That's a play on words, a dynasty, a throne, a kingdom for him. I will build a house for him that will last forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Israel's asking, is, it, is David's son Solomon the one? Builds a temple for God. But then he's got 700 wives and he's a disaster. King after king after king. Disaster. But that doesn't mean the hope for God's anointed grows dim. It burns brighter. Even when the nation splits and they're sent into exile, they're still hoping by the rivers of Babylon, as their old Boney M song says out of the Bible, we sat down and wept. And when we remembered Zion, we want Jerusalem to have a king. And we wept because it didn't. Isaiah 9.1, you read this at Christmas. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the kingship, the government, will be on his, his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his kingdom and peace, there'll be no end. And he'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it with justice, please, Lord, and righteousness, yes, from that town onwards, because the Lord's zeal will do it. Where is this David king? Enter Palm Sunday, you're back up to speed. You probably think, oh, I didn't want all that. Well, you got it. (laughs) Enter Jesus now, proclaiming God's kingdom, demonstrating he's the king. He's the king. He's he's forgiving people's sins like he's the king. He's calming storms like he's the king of heaven. They go down in the boat and go, what kind of guy is this? What category of man is this that even the wind and waves obey him? He rules over the spiritual world. He says to evil, go. And they say, who is this with authority that the demons just go and he says? He has authority over sickness, even death. Stands outside Lazarus' tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. About a week or two weeks before this moment, it's the talk of the town. It's the absolute buzz. Who is this that death obeys him? Surely this is the coming king. Surely this is the one we waited for. This is the serpent crusher. This is the offspring of Abraham. This is the son of David. This is the light in the darkness. This is the one, and they're excited. 
And they cry now, God, let it be true now. Hosanna literally means, give us salvation now. The crowds are singing, could it be today? Could it be today? Could this Lord's blessed anointed son be this one from Galilee? He's either light in the darkness. Is he the one who's going to reign on David's throne? And they cry out, in another gospel it says, they cry out, Hosanna, the son of David. You're the one. You're the one. I don't think they got the whole extent of what they were doing. Uh, in fact, uh, John, with kind of self-deprecation, says we had no clue what was going on. We didn't know what's going on with his palm branches and, and, and donkey thing. We had no idea what's going on. Yeah. What they did know is that there's this sense of God's king's coming. It says they cut palm branches, which is what it says you're supposed to do in Psalm 118. They cut palm branches and they're waving the palm branches. It says elsewhere that they took off their coats and spread them before him. That's what you do to a king that's coming. But something doesn't quite fit, does it? Something's not quite right here. Something's a little bit incongruous. Because he doesn't come riding on a war horse. He comes on a donkey. Do not be afraid, but rejoice, daughter of Zion. See your king comes to you seated on a donkey. This is not the grasping, oppressive, tyrannical ruler. This is the humble king. This is not the one who's come to build the temple like David's son. He is the temple, the place where God dwells. He's not come to sprinkle the blood of his enemies on the horns of the altar. That's what it says in Psalm 118. No, he hasn't come to do that. He's come to sprinkle his own blood on the altar. He is the sacrifice. This is not the king, the warrior king, to make Israel like other nations, to replace Jerusalem for Rome. He's the king of the nations. He doesn't need to grasp for it. The devil tempts him earlier in his life. If you bow down to me, you can be the king of all the nations. He's not taken in. I am the king of the nations. But be surprised, because I'm not going to rule like you think. Like Adam, who said, I'm not having this guy as my king. I'm not having God as my king. Like Saul, who said, I'm not having God as my king. Like Israel, who said, not having God as my king. Get surprised what happens five days later. What happens? They turn against him. Instead of saying, we will have God as our king. Bless Hosanna, God save. Blesses the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They're saying, we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. They would rather have a grasping, oppressive tyrant than God's anointed. How typical of us. You think you wouldn't do that. But you would. You would. You do. You do do that. In those moments where you're asked to trust his God, his king, you say, why has this happened to me? How can this be true? This is not fair. I don't want God to be my king because he doesn't give me the life I want. Do it my way. In fact, I could do it much better myself, thank you. It's interesting, they didn't know what they were doing. Pilate and the Roman soldiers took it upon themselves to mock Jesus. Says they took him, the king. They took him and took him into the praetorium, into the guard room, and they tied him to a post. They stripped him completely naked and they whipped him. And his blood and back was ripped apart. 
and then they put a bloody red, uh, purple robe on him and went, Hail the King of the Jews. And hey, let's have a crown. And one of them gets a crown of thorns and presses it into his head. But they were unwitting participants in Jesus' enthronement. Behold your king, says Pilate. Hail the King of the Jews, says the soldiers. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, says the sign above the cross. Philip Greenslade, in the book I mentioned, says, Jesus comes not to be crowned in a palace on Mount Zion, but a cross-shaped throne on Golgotha's hill. He reigns from the tree. Jesus, the son of David. The son of the second king. The second Adam. Reigns from the tree. Stripped and beaten and bloodied and naked. He is still the king. He's still the king. The Roman soldiers nailing to the cross are forgiven. How kingly. A thief is offered life in the kingdom forever. How kingly. His friend is put with his mother. How kingly. The serpents attack on his heel in full progress. He crushes a serpent. How kingly. The son of David, the anointed one, suffers as he inherits his kingdom. Yet the king dies. There's no coming down from the cross. They say, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Ah, God's abandoned him. Surely he's abandoned him. He's no king. This is no king. This is some false pretender. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. But he doesn't come down. There's no miraculous signs of power or revenge. This isn't a king who needs to exercise his muscle to bring his vengeance. Seemingly alone and defeated, he dies in the darkness. Three days later, the first, first the women, and then Jesus' disciples say this long-said phrase, the king is dead. Long live the king. I was watching uh, Netflix with my uh, mother-in-law because she was helping me recover from my hip replacement. And I thought, what can I watch with her that she's the least bit interested? And we watched this thing called The Crown. I don't know if anybody saw it. It was okay. I pretended to be into it and she thought, oh, we've bonded. But one of the things that was... (laughs) I'm such a fake, aren't I? Such a fake. Lord help me. But one of the things that, 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 that they did is they did this, they did, they did the kind of coronation. And what they said is, you can't, you can't film the coronation, and, and Duke of Edinburgh says, no, no, it'd be good to have it on TV because we need to know it. He says, well, there's one bit you can't film. You cannot film the anointing. What they did in the coronation, and we've not had one for a while, and I'm glad we haven't because the Queen's doing a great job right now. Uh, but what happens in the coronation is that they bring the, the, the monarch-to-be and seat him or her upon a throne. And they hold this canopy over them. And they get oil and they put it on her forehead and said, now you are, whatever, the anointed king. The canopy, what is all that about? Does anybody know? Everything in a coronation has got some meaning. It's the sense of God's spirit 
coming and hovering over her. And anoints her. You're the king, queen. Jesus rises from the dead. The anointed king. The grave cannot hold him. Paul writes in Romans, he is the king. The son of God. Demonstrated by his resurrection from the dead. Peter stands up at the day of Pentecost. The canopy is covered over the upper room. That same upper room where Jesus appeared to them and said, put your hand in here. I'm alive. Give me some fish to eat. You know, I'm real. I've risen from the dead. Same upper room. Spirit comes and Peter says, guys, this spirit coming is one thing and one thing only. God has raised this Jesus to life and we're witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out now what you see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured, God has made this Jesus who you crucified, both Yahweh and Messiah. He's the God and King. But what's amazing is that the, 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 the spirit that hovered over, that, that, that came on Saul when he became king, but that came on David when he became king, that came on Jesus when he stood in the water and the Father said over him, this is my beloved son, I'm well pleased, that, that sort of, sort of anointed him. You know what happens? It comes on God's people. I'm finishing, nearly finishing here. It comes on God's people. I, I, I was preparing this and I was astounded to just think about that. The sign of kings and priests comes on God's people. Ruler, mandate comes on God's people. Those that dare go into God's presence comes on God's people. Peter writes elsewhere, doesn't he, in his letter, he says, but you are chosen people. Samuel, the prophet, comes and looks for young David and he's saying, well, uh, bring the brothers out. But bring them out one at a time. One, no, he's not the one. No, he's not the one. He's strong. Maybe he's, no, he's not the one. Have you got another? Yeah, there's a young kid called David and he's out with the sheep. Bring him in. And they bring him in and anoint him. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's what God has done to you. The unlikely, the forgotten one. God has called you and brought you in and said, I am going to anoint you with my spirit. You are a chosen people, a royal or kingly priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Why did God pour his spirit on you and say, you're king again? Like Adam was king under God's rule, you're kings again under God's rule. You're not victims of every circumstance. You lose your job and it's not like, oh, God's no longer in the throne. You get sick, it's not like God's no longer the king. Something bad happens, it's not like, oh, God's no longer the king. You're the king under God. And you say, Paul says, we can reign in life because God is risen from the dead. We're not victims. Adam's mandate to bless the world has come to you. To have gospel children. 
Children who believe in Jesus and he becomes their father and to fill the earth with gospel children. To bring God's fruitfulness and blessing and peace and light and life to all the nations. Abraham's blessing has come to you, the church. Bless you. And all nations will be blessed by you. Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. Why? We're trying to recruit people because we're insecure and short of numbers. No, because God has blessed us. He's put us in that coronation chair, as it were, and blessed us and said, now I anoint you, little Christs, that's what Christian means, now go and bless the world. The anointing that comes to David comes to us that actually in this life it might be tough. They might have to suffer. You might have to take your cross and follow Jesus. But also we know that victories come to us. We don't shout out, God, would you save? We shout out, God, you've saved. Hosanna. Who can move the mountains? Who's the king of glory? Who's the one who saves? Hosanna. God is the one who saves. Well, I love that song where it says, It is finished. He has done it. Death is beaten. Heaven beckons me. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. There's a coming king still. It's the end of the story. I can't finish with that. It's the coming king still that God has made you that to carry Adam's mandate, to carry Abraham's mandate, to carry David's mandate, to carry Israel's mandate, to carry Christ's mandate into the world. And we go saying there's a king coming. There's still a king coming. Peter writes, you're a royal priesthood that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. That's why he's made you king, that you might declare it. You might have authority to declare it. Tim Chester writes this in his book that I quoted. It says, we preach the gospel. That's Jesus is king. As heralds of a coming king. We go to the citizens of every nation and say a king is coming. He claims their allegiance. All that rule them, all their passions and desires and false dreams, all that rule them are usurpers and tyrants, grasping and oppressive. We do not invite people to make Jesus their king. We declare that Jesus is the king who rules over all, forever. We do not ask people to live better lives and to make the world a better place. We call people to repent, to bow the knee to the coming King, who is Lord and Christ. This is Palm Sunday, guys. This is Palm Sunday where we recognise Jesus is the King. He's not the King you expected or the King that you'd like to come at your bidding to do what you want. But he is the king. And he calls you to him. If you're a Christian, you're in God's story. If you're a Christian, then you've had the uh, anointing. You've, God's spirit has made you alive to him and you've, you've, you've chosen to follow him and you've said, I'm, he's called me out of darkness to proclaim his praises. That's who I am. But if you're not a Christian this morning, guys, you're in rebellion. You're saying, I'm not going to have him as my king. I'll do it myself. And the plea is, is, don't do that. You cannot rule over yourself. 
usurpers and tyrants and desires will rule over you. And instead of life, you're going to taste death. But the invitation this morning is come and bow before the King. If you don't know Him, if you're not a Christian, come and bow before the King. Come and take a knee or bow your head and say, He is the King of glory. Who is like this one? Pour your spirit on me. Anoint me as a king in your kingdom. A priest in your temple. A voice to your world. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.